He is our wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is our everlasting father. And he is our prince of peace. He is proof that God is indeed our salvation. Merry Christmas, and welcome to another edition of A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. Today is a very special commemoration for us here on the program. We're going to be talking about Christmas. It's our Christmas message. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But before we get there, you and I are both from Minnesota. So I'd like you to take us back to snowy Minnesota, young Nick Gatsky. Let's picture like elementary school. What was Christmas like in your family? Yeah, So we had a number of great Christmas traditions growing up. Uh, And like so many people, many of those revolved around time with family. Uh, We would typically attend a Christmas Eve service at the church I grew up in and then very often, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, sometimes both, spend time with aunts and uncles and cousins. And I had a bunch of cousins that were right around the same age. So if they would come over to our house, um, you know, it would be probably a combination of going out into the backyard. I had a pond in my backyard growing up. And if it was cold enough. Ice skating. Yeah, we had, we had a cousin's hockey game every year. Wow. And none of us were hockey players. Uh, so that made it all the more interesting. What about foods though? I mean, you're, you're from Minnesota. Was there a lot of lutefisk and lefsa or what's the story there? You know, one of the, one of the bizarre things, not lutefisk and less and lefsa, lefska, lefsa, L-E-F-S-E. Yeah. Yeah. One of the bizarre things, not lutefisk or lefsa, but pickled herring. Sure. My wife's family did that. A very common Scandinavian background type of appetizer, right? You'd have pickled herring on a cracker and people love that. We tried it again recently and um, I'm glad we don't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't like pickled herring. Have you tried it? I have not tried it for a while, but I think I probably would like it. That'd be my guess. Cause it's got a lot of nostalgia with it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Now, since we're talking about Christmas traditions, you know, th- there's always those who get concerned about Christians participating in too many of the trappings of American Christmas. Yeah. What's your take on that, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think that we always want to be careful about just blindly engaging in American consumerism, right? That that Christmas will only be good if we can get the very best or most expensive presents. We've had plenty of years between grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff like that where I'm looking at my kids open presents under the tree, and I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable because they open one toy and then they throw it aside and then they open the next and you think to yourself they're not going to play with half this things for like six months because they don't even know they have it yeah you know and so we've in our family have simplified very much you know with a a limited number of gifts but still meaningful and um i think it is good to to give gifts and to have fun and to enjoy some of the celebratory aspects of the season that engage our imagination and help us to focus on expressions of kindness and joy without going overboard and becoming just sort of blatantly materialistic. Well, and on the other end, how can we be witnesses of the gospel when we have maybe relatives coming to town without being super awkward yeah. when, if they don't follow Jesus? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. That we want to be sensitive and look for every opportunity to engage them in meaningful spiritual conversation during this holiday season is even offering to 
pray before the meal a place to do it? I mean, how do you approach that? Yeah, we certainly do. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my family and friends that aren't Christians that we engage with know that we are Christians, and we make no apology for that, certainly. And uh, yet at the same time, want to try to meet them where they are. And so we're sensitive, but we're very clear. Hey, we're celebrating Christmas, and these are the things we're thankful for, and, and this is the person that we're most thankful for. Well, and from all of us here at A Better Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Remember, abetterword.org is where to find out more information. Even if you feel inspired to uh, send a present our direction, as we certainly could use your support, again, abetterword.org. Now, with that, let's get to this year's Christmas message from Dr. Nick Gatsky on A Better Word. The story is the same again and again. When a woman gets pregnant the negotiation between the husband and the wife begins. What will we name this baby? Husbands and wives go back and forth. Lists are made. Names are vetoed. And they start to get closer. But the job isn't finished yet. Each couple needs to decide if they are going to solicit feedback from their family or friends or if they're going to go it alone. Personally, we did not tell any of our family or friends the names we were considering for our children because we didn't want their feedback. And it's a lot harder to critique a name when it's already attached to a sweet little baby that somebody is holding. It's an important question. What will we name this baby? There are a lot of considerations that a couple or a person has when tasked to decide the name that someone is going to be called for the rest of their life. Do you want a family name? Perhaps the name of a parent or a grandparent. Do you want a name that represents your ethnic background in some way? Maybe a German name or an Italian name or an African name or a Korean name. What does the name mean? Most names carry with them some sort of implicit meaning. For example, my name, Nicholas, means victorious for the people. My son's name, Karsten, is the German version of Christian. It means follower of Christ. I wonder if you know what your name means. What's in a name? In the ancient world, the name of a person or a thing or an animal even was meant to communicate something about their essence, the essential parts of their character. A name was important, and the meaning of that name was intentional. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Israel was rebelling against God. Their judgment was on the lips of the prophet. And the prophet even says that the people walked in darkness. But their hope and their salvation was also a message from the prophet. And it would come in the form of a child. A child with four names. In the midst of dark days, This is how the child is described. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You might think of those as titles And yet Isaiah 9 says that his name shall be called. And what's in a name? What do these names that given to Jesus tell us about him? Let's spend a few moments just considering it together. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. For the nation of Israel, the pursuit of their own desires and of their own wisdom had walked them down the path of darkness. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and as a result, they rebelled against God. Human wisdom is displayed as folly. Solomon writes about this in Proverbs chapter 16, 25. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. It is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Our ideas of wisdom that come from us are actually foolish to God. And that's true in my life. That's true in your life, in all of our lives, isn't it? We feel a certain way. We think a certain way. We perceive something. We have an idea of what we think is right. And even if it goes against what God says, we can convince ourselves of it. And ultimately, it leads us to darkness. But Jesus is the wonderful counselor. In fact, from the early days of Jesus' time on earth, his counsel is shown to inspire and to create wonder and awe. Luke 2.47 tells of a 12-year-old Jesus in the temple engaging with the religious leaders, and it said that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And we would come to see the depths of this wisdom that knows no end, and the counsel that he gives that is not intuitive to you or intuitive to me as he shows us that true wisdom knows that weakness is strength, that victory is found in surrender, and that spiritual death actually leads to new life. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And so if you need counsel, turn to him. He will lead you through the days of your life 
in the ways of God. Not only is Jesus the wonderful counselor, he is described here with the name Mighty God. The prophecy concerning him declares that he will come as a king to take the throne of David, but this king will not just have power, he will also have deity. He is God, and as God, he has all the power of God. He has power to speak things into existence, power over the material realm of earth as he multiplies food and walks on water and even commands the weather. He has power over the spiritual realm, to cast out demons and to fight back Satan. He has power to absorb evil, which he does on the cross. And he has power over sin, death, and the devil, which he displays in his resurrection. And Jesus, as the mighty God, has the power to forgive sins. And so if you think that your situation is so difficult and that it is not only difficult for you, but that it must even be difficult for God. If you think that you've wandered so far away from God that God won't take you back, (laughs) if you think that your future is shrouded from your eyes and the obstacles in front of you are so extreme that you just don't know how you're going to make it, then know this. He is not just a king. He is God. And he is not just a God. He is the mighty God. All power and might and glory and honor belong to him as Colossians 1.19 says, for in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. And it says that he is the everlasting father. That's an interesting name that's given to him. Because in the same passage, he is called a child. He's called a son And he's called now a father. Throughout the Bible, of course, we see that the first person of the Godhead is frequently referred to God the Father. And so why is God the Son being referred to as an everlasting father here? We have to be careful. The prophecy of the coming Messiah King does not imply that God and Jesus are the same person who just takes a different form depending upon the context. They are indeed two separate persons who share the same divine essence with each other and with the Holy Spirit in perfect trinity. And so the key to understanding this verse is to understand that it does not refer to the relationship within the Godhead. It refers to his relationship to us. He is to us an everlasting father. Kings would often refer to themselves as the father of their people. Kings would also refer to themselves as the father of those that they captured. And what is the role of a father? A father provides for his children, 
father protects his children. A father trains his children. A father leads his children into what they can become. A father loves his children. Earthly kings would sometimes accomplish some of these things. Even our biological fathers might fail in certain ways, but even if they succeeded all the way, their fatherhood is temporary in its scope. Jesus' fatherhood is everlasting. He is our king, and thus he is our father, and we are his children. And so in one sense, he is our father because as Colossians 1 tells us, all things were created through him and for him. All of us proceed from Christ. But beyond that, we relationally become the children of God upon our profession of faith in him as our savior to forgive sins. And from that time forward, for all eternity, his fatherhood will have no end in your life. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and finally, prince of peace. This name comes as the last in a series of four, and in some ways it's the climactic one. It's difficult to maintain peace within a kingdom. Outside enemies are seemingly always encroaching on the land. Within the kingdom, rebellion against authority and even insurrection were not uncommon. Threat, conflict, war, are common realities of the earth. But beyond that, the rebellion against the kingship of God is the biggest problem that describes humanity, describes our sin. You know how difficult it is to maintain peace. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. You feel the tension every single day. So what sort of king would Jesus be what would define his reign? He will be a peaceful king. He comes in peace in his birth on earth, and he established peace for his followers. And the peace he gives is multifaceted in its scope. He gives peace with God. The most important type of peace that he will give is a spiritual peace as he reconciles people to God. And he does this through the cross. Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So because that the penalty of rebellion has been paid for by Christ through his wounds on the cross, people can experience, you can experience reconciliation to God forever, and that results in peace. There's also an internal type of peace 
that Jesus gives. And it's certainly related to your peace with God. First Peter 5.7 says that we can cast all of our anxieties upon him because he cares for you. John 16.33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's a spiritual peace with God, there's an internal peace, but then there's also an eternal peace. Last night we described Isaiah chapter 11, a wolf lying down with a lamb, a child playing over the hole of a cobra. They shall not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. It's the picture of physical, eternal peace. Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. And Revelation chapter 21 describes in another way, part of the vision of Isaiah 11. When it says, I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so what's in a name? The name Jesus has a meaning. It means God is our salvation. It's derived from the name Joshua. What are some of the characteristics of this promised Messiah King that show that God is our salvation and he would be the one to do it? What does he possess? What priorities will he bring? Well, he is our wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is our everlasting father and he is our prince of peace. He is proof that God is indeed our salvation. So with that, let's pray and continue to worship. Lord Christ, great are you and worthy of all honor and glory and praise. We thank you for the counsel that you give. It is truly wonderful. We thank you for the displays of your divine might and power, even in the lives of so many represented here today. We thank you that your fatherhood over us is not temporary in its nature, that it is perfect in its effect and it is forever and god we thank you that you can give us something so many things that we can't give to ourselves, but one of those being true and lasting peace 
Father, we pray that the peace of the Lord Jesus would be upon his children today. Amen. You're listening to A Better Word, and that concludes this year's Christmas message from Dr. Nick Gatsky of Old North Church in Canfield. As we celebrate Christmas here as a team, I want to bring in uh, Dr. Gatsky again to have a little chat here because I think it's super important that we spend a few minutes discussing the essential nature of the Christian belief in the virgin birth of Jesus. Like, why is this so important? Why does Christmas matter? At the core, the word or the name Emmanuel, God with us, gets to the heart of Christmas. That God is not a distant God. That God is not dispassionate toward people. That God loves people so much that his son would step out of eternity and step into time and space in the form of a human, fully God and fully man, to be with us. And that's amazing. I mean, we could we could just think on that reality in and of itself for a very long time. God wants to be with us and not just to encourage us, not just to bless us, not just to be an example for us, but to save us so that we would be with him forever. And from all of us here at A Better Word, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information about this ministry and how to donate, go to abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.